another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Today on the Unicorns, we're doing a deep dive into influencer marketing and the so-called creator economy. Specifically, we'll be focusing on US-listed business Isaiah which this week made the announcement it had acquired Australia's leading influencer marketing business, Huzu. For those not overly familiar with the space, the industry could loosely be described as a form of marketing in which businesses or brands collaborate with individuals who have a significant and engaged following on social media platforms or other online channels. These people, known as influencers, leverage their credibility, expertise, or popularity to promote and endorse products, services, or brands to their audience. But of course, it's much bigger than all of that. Today, I'm joined by the president of Isaiah, Ryan Schramm, who's in Sydney this week from the US, and Natalie Giddings, the CEO of Huzu. Ryan and Natalie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us, Justin. Great to be with you. Ryan, firstly to you, for those not overly familiar with Isaiah, can you perhaps give us a quick elevator pitch on your business? Of course, I'd be happy to. Isaiah is credited with being the first company to do what is now known as influencer marketing. Back in 2005, our founder, Ted Murphy, was running a successful digital advertising agency in the US and was looking to hire individuals on the most bleeding edge, state-of-the-art platform of its time, MySpace, to promote things for a brand. I know it's laughable. I remember that. I remember that. (laughs) But at the time, it was the TikTok of its day. And being able to find individuals to create original content, tell authentic stories, And to do that at a scale that mattered, it turns out it's very difficult to do that in a vacuum. And that sparked the idea that led to Isaiah. And so today, uh, we are the world's largest creator economy company. As you mentioned, we are listed in the US on on NASDAQ. And uh, today is the dawn of a new chapter in the trader economy in Australia with the acquisition of Huzu, and we could not be more happy about it. Ryan, I'll stay with you. So what inspired Isaiah to acquire Huzu, as I mentioned in the introduction, and expand uh, your presence in the Asia-Pacific region and perhaps share some insights into the journey that led to this acquisition? We look at the trader economy globally, Justin, uh, through a, a number of lenses, one of which is that uh, global brands uh, not only demand very reasonably excellence, they demand scale that matters in geographies all over the world. And so we've been successful in building out a presence not only in North America, but in China and South Korea and the UK and other corners. And part of our overarching thesis is that global consolidation of like-minded thought leaders and best-in-class companies not only is inevitable, but that we want to lead that movement proactively. So uh, many years ago, I had the opportunity of meeting one of Huzu's co-founders, Nathan Ruff. Uh, Huzu ended up becoming an alliance member of ISEAS, 
in a coalition we call Influence United. We got to know each other, uh, sort of dating before getting married, if you will, and built a wonderful relationship. When Huzu acquired the Remarkables Group and Natalie was appointed CEO, she and I had the opportunity to know one another. And it was almost a one plus one equals three scenario from, from my chair in that it met all the criteria of being a market leader, but also a market innovator. And those two things are not always the same. And the focus on providing best-in-class services for leading Australian brands, but also through our Hume subsidiary, representing best-in-class creators themselves to the broader industry. That combination of capabilities and vision uh, is tremendously compelling for us and in part a big reason for why Isaiah wanted to make this investment. Natalie, um, obviously big news for Huzu and your wider business. So how does Huzu's expertise, what you do in the market, complement Isaiah and what it offers the influencer marketing space? So we really come at influencer marketing from a strategic lens. There's still an enormous amount of, I guess, archaic practices in the marketplace and the opportunity to educate brands around how to optimize their influencer marketing spend. We're sitting at about ooh, 250 million spend in the Australian market for influencer marketing. And um, with that type of volume and activity, there's certainly a number of insights and learnings that brands can look to um, to be able to truly um, maximise the opportunity with influencer marketing. About 50% of our activity here in Australia uh, at Fuzu is actually um, planned to an ROI, in other words, actual sales conversions per creator. So we know the sell-through rate um, we take a lens of looking at your entire year program, mapping that towards some of those key moments in your program, and then optimizing accordingly. I still think there's brands I still meet every single day are thinking about sort of really narrow campaign activity. It's a nice to have, it's tactical. Whereas when you look at it from a strategic point of view, it becomes a really powerful engine to drive sales and growth of your brand. And so, of course, when we met Ryan earlier in the piece, it was really clear that there was a strong alignment, passion, dedication, pioneers in this space. It's a really exciting time for us today. So, And Natalie, I'll stay with you. What do you think are the unique capabilities that Huzu brings to the table and in particular this acquisition? With influencer marketing, there's still a, 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 an opportunity to really envelop and collaborate with creators and being able to do that, it's very relational based, but that blend of data, science, optimization, insights and learnings and recalibrating your program on a regular basis with technology and scale is is where we see the most exciting piece um, for brands here in Australia when we're partnering and joining Isaiah. For us, it was it, it just made perfect um, perfect sense. We I call it people might call it art and science. You know, there's sort of the relationship side of real people planned moments backed with data and science. Whereas actually, I like to call it 
heart and science because at the end of the day um, we're, we're working um, with real people intertwining brands into their lives very naturally and organically and powerfully um, and so the opportunity for us to be able to do that at scale is really exciting. A question to both of you, what is it that makes someone an influencer? Have you been able to define that in any way? My belief, Justin, is that actually everyone is inherently influential. And one of the trends that we've seen in more recent years with the rise of what we coin micro or nano influencers, meaning folks who may be more likely to be a neighbor or a trusted family member, can sometimes have just as much impact on an average consumer as a celebrity or athlete. The paradox, of course, is how do you thread together groups of those individuals and layer them in such a way like Nat was saying strategically on behalf of the brand? It is not one or the other. To me, it is an and. So for myself, while I would love to say that I have hundreds of millions of influencers and maybe, hey, after this transaction today, it's entirely possible. That'd be true. That'd be true. What I do know is that the people that I interact with on my own socials know that there are certain brands that I have an affinity for or certain topics that I talk about organically, which then lends the opportunity to uh, prospective brands who may want to access that community that I've built around those topics. And the same goes for every shape and size of individual in every geography around the world. And so what's what's been most compelling to us is seeing uh, regional and global brands not only acknowledge this trend, but truly embrace it and say, I wish to have individuals who have huge macro followings be a part of a campaign. And then I also wish to have dozens or hundreds of passionate micro or nano influencers all being a part of the same overarching strategy. And when you have the ability to use technology to understand and identify those individuals, collaborate with them, measure the results, as Natalie was so importantly saying, that's where that fusion is, is not just marketing fodder. It is truly the reality of authentic storytelling that's only capable of being brought together by very, very innovative technology. And Nat, what about your thoughts on what makes an influencer? Look, we've done a number of studies over the years and um, the number one reason people follow an influencer is because they feel like they're actually catching up with a friend. So just like word of mouth marketing, that was um, a huge movement, obviously, when I first started in marketing. Um, when someone shares very openly, vulnerably about their lives, there's a certain trust transaction that happens. And so when we, um, I think old school following celebrities, there's the opportunity to kind of uh, really aspirational reasons to follow a, a, a celebrity when it comes to creators, it's actually truly inspirational and um, motivational to see what they're actually using, what they're actually doing. And there's that really powerful um, connection that they make with their audience for us. 
it really is actually in the name for Hume, our talent agency that we started in October last year. It's that intersection of human and media. So influence actually at scale. So we see humans at the heart of whole range of activity that brands are doing, you know, when we use real life people sharing their life moments. Um, in Humans. Content, it performs from an amplification perspective. It performs um, from um, the studies. It performs from a conversion perspective. So really keeping humans at the heart, which means following, um, it means following real humans like they're our friends because that's Good. exactly how they're perceived. A question for both of you. How do you see the collaboration now working between Isaiah and Huzu and influencing the creator economy? From from my chair, uh, what we're trying to do is actually avoid what some companies do when a transaction like this happens. Uh, a long time ago, um, I recognized that um, unfortunately, American corporations in particular uh, tend to think that they can copy and paste themselves around the world and uh, really wash out all of the greatness that has been built by businesses like Huzu. So for us, um, we've taken the approach that we wish to not uh, change actually anything about what Natalie and her team have built. The Huzu name, its entire DNA is not only going to remain in the market, our goal is to expand uh, its presence, expand its capabilities, and and frankly, its subject matter eminence that it's already deserved over the years that it's existed. What Isaiah can bring to the table, of course, um, is a variety of technologies that we've built to make our clients' lives better, to make results more clear, and to frankly make these campaigns that we referred to uh, that much more scalable. Uh, and that provides not only the ingenuity and innovation that we believe is important to maintain a market leader position, it's the fuel to the proverbial rocket of all the things that we aspire to do as well. Then beyond that is that we've been fortunate to, to build relationships with many global corporations who would love to be able to have a preferred executional partner in this corner of the world, not just perhaps Australia, but zoom out to Oceania and APAC overall. And we believe that this is a natural place to start involving um, all the companies that we seek to bring in underneath uh, the ISEA umbrella, if you will, to provide that one-stop shop uh, for multinational and global brands. So it, it's really synergistic in a straightforward manner. But it's also wonderful that we're going to have um, a CEO like Nat and a team that she's built and honed over these years who will continue to be able to provide um, all of the great subject matter expertise that, they are, that they're known for. Nat, your thoughts? We are dedicated specialists in this space and have been not as long as Isaiah, um, but have been for some time. And with the growing, the escalation of brands and their spends, you know, from an influencer perspective, sometimes it can be quite a lonely place for us as specialists. And I'm sure that there's circumstances that we have been overlooked because they see us just as doing influencer marketing. But now with the creator content being able to be applied in so many 
so many environments for a brand and outperforming, you know, what is the old way, I guess, a creative agency. It might be, you know, five or six key people sitting in a room, very removed from the actual product um, and use. Where we we see the benefit is the opportunity to really um, leverage the creator content across the whole ecosystem. Um, but that's very hard to do as what is essentially, um, you know, a standalone agency, whereas with Isaiah for us, the opportunity is to really take on um, and grow the opportunity for brands from a, you know, being able to leverage the content um, for us. So really excited because we, we're, we're very passionate about what we do. You know, we're specialists. Um, and then being able to do that at scale um, with the maturity and the learnings and the you know the the paths that Isaiah has really um, beaten out on a global scale is really exciting for us. A question to both of you on the development of influencer marketing and the creative economy. Let's just say you've got a big company. They're going to market. It might be say a new car that they're launching. A big brand. Traditionally, it would be they've got their marketing spend above the line. They've got their TVCs, buses, billboards, radio. They've got everything sorted. But now all of a sudden, influencer marketing comes into this mix. How has that evolved, guys? What are you seeing in the market when you're having discussions with these big brands, particularly around product launches? And and where do you see that going? It's a great question, Justin. And I think in part, it's why, depending on what measure you want to believe, you're seeing the creator economy expenditure investments now are globally between 30 and $40 billion and, and still slated to grow another 30% next year. Um, in the automotive space, for example, uh, you know there was sort of the idea uh, not so long ago that you always push the metal, right? You put the vehicle on a windy road, near a body of water, you shoot it with a helicopter, you slap it everywhere, and you, and you hope that that, that draws to your core demographic that that, that vehicle is, is looking to espouse itself to. Today, that process has been turned completely on its head in, in a very positive way, I believe. So it's not just a matter of putting a creator behind the wheel of a new Toyota truck. Instead, it actually may be the creator who is the genesis point of what is the story trying to be told? And not only their story, but if you're activating dozens or perhaps hundreds of creators, imagine all of the variants of how a brand, whether it's a Toyota or a Ford, uh, can become so much more attractive to a wider audience. At the same time, it, it's, it's interesting because you touched on uh, you know, it, classic integrated media philosophy, but we probably also should acknowledge that one of the biggest challenges that many global brands have is they can't get out of their own way in truly being integrated marketers. You know, those organizations have the dogma of being very siloed and not as collaborative as they need to be. And the the blessing, the cr- curse of the creator economy, as I see it, is it may have, in fact, one of the most comprehensive returns on investment across the brand house. It's not just the word of mouth endorsement, like Natalie was talking about earlier in our conversation that is so valuable and so meaningful, but think of the media math on the reach and the engagement and the ability to directly draw 
return on investment on a purchase there. And then you take the content itself and how might you repurpose that? Not just using it on the creator's social handles, that's sort of the 101 part of it, but imagine it being repurposed to be pre-roll on, on different streaming platforms, to be on programmatic digital out-of-home activations and, and everything in between. That modern mindset, you often see very innovative marketers not only embracing but putting more and more of their expenditure into. And you think of uh, sectors like direct-to-consumer brands, Justin. Those brands have been so sophisticated. And I, I say this as a middle-aged white guy, it's because those CMOs typically aren't middle-aged white guys. They are younger. They are more diverse. They tend to be women. And when you look at where they invest their monies, it looks very, very different and very creator economy heavy compared to some of the older, more traditional brand counterparts. Come in, Nat, your thoughts. Leaning into what Ryan said about a, you know, direct-to-consumer D2C brands, from our perspective, obviously, a, a, a very large number of those in, in Australia, but also globally, have really been able to bite off um, an enormous amount of market share because they have definitely been less resistant, more open to trialing and trying influencer marketing because, you know, they've got, when they first start out, they've got to be really, really... Um, conservative with their budgets more so than um, your bigger brands. And so they've you know, really uh, jumped into influencer marketing, seen the conversion, and then we have just seen those spends increase, 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 because they can actually see um, the impact that influencer marketing is having on their um, bottom line. You know, going back five or six years ago, there was a handful of brands in the Australian market that had an influencer marketing specialist and now it's prolific. So we're working often with an influencer marketing specialist in-house and in a number of circumstances, departments now because of the scale um, that brands are leveraging it. it we, we're, there's certainly um, a number of FMCG brands where 80 to 90% of their spend, that's their yearly spend, and I'm talking nappy brands, things that people are buying on an everyday basis that you wouldn't think a really strong endorsement would be that important to them, but is actually influencer marketing. Many brands are launching with influencer marketing as opposed to launching with the the larger above the line activity. Yes. And seeing that flip. So it's it's actually quite in- incredible. It's uh, it's. It's quite the industry secret, but um, we're certainly seeing it here at Huzu. So to follow up on that, you know, whenever you're going to market, it's all about the metrics. It's all about the ROI. How deeply do businesses like Isaiah and Huzu track those metrics and be able to give certainty to a client, to your customers about the impact that a particular campaign has had? That's a, a great question. The, the short answer is that we, we don't do it alone. We realized a long time ago that while we sit on tremendous amounts of data, as you might imagine, not only from the APIs tied to the social platforms, uh, but all the other first-party data that the creators provide, we then realized, though, that it's best to link arms 
with various solution partners who, when we tie those things together, can give us a level of precision that is is truly remarkable. And you know, a, a great example would be that of uh, in retail marketing, you want to know that if someone saw this TikTok reel, what was the likelihood of that follower base from that creator going to say a Woolworth store? Now we can now only say that there was the intent or the perceivability of, of, of an increased favorability to the brand, like those were things that had been around, but we can now marry it with mobile data to say that Natalie Giddings actually went to this Woolworth store as a result of being exposed to this campaign. Wow. And so that level of precision, we know only gets that much more addressable as time goes on. And it starts to reinvent the classic marketing funnel that brands build their brand houses off of. Because today, if you think of it, you can harness the power of creators to craft a story, distribute a story. You can then marry that with paid precision amplification through Huzu, and then be able to measure those results in real time to decide which other levers you might wish to apply to make the results even last further. It, it, it's not a huge stretch to say, although it, it sounds wonderful, to say that it's probably one of the most progressive, but also one of the most realistic forms of measurement that is accessible to a wide range of brands today. From my perspective, uh, we track the sales data conversion right down to the creator, even the piece of content. <clears throat> so uh, the opportunity for us to monitor and adapt the program either on a monthly or quarterly basis based on, you know, if every brand is different, but it's usually ROAS, CAC, I'll never get used to that word, or a CPA conversion. Um, you know, so we might actually... Um, suggest to a brand, let's work with a broader group of creators. We put in place a content strategy. You know, there's a particular um, maybe content pillar that each of the creators will be most suitable for. Customize, personalize that brief with those particular audience types. Um, flight that activity and then sort of by second or third month, we've got a really strong indicator of the exact conversion that each creator is um, um, providing to that brand, graduate the ones that are best performing, find more of them, deprioritize the people that aren't performing um, and uh, optimize the budget over time. Um, and then the other key thing from a, a you know a conversion basis is definitely having um, a planned test and learn um, phase. So each quarter, we want to be able to try something new. So it could be messaging, it could be content type, it could be a talent type, finding new audiences, and then ultimately adapting the program based on what we learn from that test um, test and learn. Really, really powerful when you actually know the sales conversion um, or the sell-through rate of a particular um, influencer. I'd agree. Let's, let's quickly turn to artificial intelligence, if I may. To what extent is AI now playing a role in influencer marketing and the creative economy? There are so many positive uh, implications 
particularly for creators, Justin, today, because when you stop and think about it, again, these are individuals that are tasked with doing uh, a lot of capacities that have once uh, been subjugated out to a variety of roles inside of the creative process. And so while it's easy to think, oh, well, you jump to the conclusion that suddenly there's going to be AI-driven social personalities and there'll be no humans involved any longer and all of these dystopian Ryan's avatar somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I don't see that being the case. Where I see it on a very practical basis is that there are tools available that we have built today. Uh, we call it Form AI that allows creators uh, different opportunities to make their lives easier in the creation process. Uh, if you think of it, it's almost like a chat GPT for, for creators to help make images or videos better, to help make copy development easier, and to do so at a price point where uh, for, say, $9 a month, they have the ability to uh, take advantage of, of, of actual practical uses of AI. I think there's all these fantastical ideas, but in the ways that would actually make uh, the ability to do their processes better. Uh, we started there. On down the road, I think more midterm, there are going to be positive implications, uh, and we have to see what those uh, and how those are received by everyday consumers for things like digital doubles, uh, not only on the creator side, but also on the brand side. Imagine training a model whereby um, you know a trader may not have to travel to a specific destination because. Uh, from a photorealism perspective, generative AI will get there where we can put them in a backdrop where if they want to be on a beach in Brisbane and have it be realistic, today it is still a bit of a stretch. Tomorrow, meaning the next several quarters to several years, I don't think that will be a stretch. We also have a lot of campaigns where products are physically sent to a creator sometimes before they launch. And Nat and I have joked about this before. She was talking about the different nappy brands. You, the, the packaging for those brands sometimes change to the very last second before they launch. And getting that product back to a creator physically is a real pain sometimes. So imagine uh, a digital model of that box of nappies that can be swapped out in real time without the need of going into a Photoshop and trying to do it manually. Those are the things that I think are very low-hanging fruit and the most meaningful for creators. Final question to both of you. Let's talk about this specific alliance and the importance of it in this region. So what does it signify for creators and influencers in Australia and beyond? And what is the potential market opportunity for this combined entity uh, in, the, in the next couple of years? From my chair, what I hear from brands and creators alike, particularly here in Australia, is they wish to partner with a market leader who is committed to ongoing investment and innovation. And in the combination of, of bringing Huzu into the Isaiah group of companies, that is the foremost mission of what we are looking to do. We are looking to be able to grow the types of capabilities that we provide, whether they happen to be influencer, content marketing, UGC, advocate marketing, paid media, representation, all of those things 
are are hot areas of investment as we've discussed throughout today's podcast that just makes sense uh, when bringing to a market. And then for creators, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, their access to deal flow and the desire to work with leading brands and partner with them is something that really matters uh, to be able to bring scale to the market. And when uh, I look at what we're doing today in both the Huzu and Hume camps, we're not only well-equipped to provide that uh, in the immediate sense, but when you start to think about the ways both organically and inorganically wish, we wish to grow, um, that really portends a wonderful future for the creator economy in Australia. Absolutely. Many of those things that Ryan mentioned, like advocacy, amplification, UGC, creator content, um, is still mostly very siloed amongst organizations. They might have separate um, divisions or separate agencies taking care of those key components. For us, the opportunity to scale and be backed by a global leader, it's really about tying all of those pieces together to maximize the opportunity. Um, so uh, that is certainly um, what we're looking to really drive over the next 12 to 18 months with, um, with Isaiah. Ryan Schramm and Natalie Giddings, congratulations on the news. Momentous time for both of you, both businesses. We wish you all the very best and good luck in the future. Thank you for coming onto the show. Thanks for having us, Justin. Thanks so much.